I'm here today with Damon Garcia, author of a new book from Broadleaf Books titled The God Who Riots, Talking back, Taking Back the Radical Jesus. Damon is a public theologian, writer, and video essayist. His work is inspired by liberation theology, decolonial theory, and anti-capitalist politics as he helps people unsettle and untangle the influence of Christian teachings developed to justify colonization. He lives in Santa Maria, California. You can learn more about Damon and all of his work at DamonGarcia.com. So, Damon, thanks so much for joining us today. It's really um, great to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great to meet you, too. So, um, what would you like other people to know about you other than just what I briefly touched on? Yeah, that's the, the things you mentioned, a big chunk of my life. But, um, yeah, I, I just uh, wrote this book called The God Who Riots, and I actually grew up in an evangelical environment, and uh, I felt called into ministry about maybe 10, yeah, around 10, 11 years ago. And then I think like many people thought, well, this is a huge responsibility uh, to be teaching these ideas and leading people. Um, So we got to take this seriously. And so I went like all the way in and researching and studying as much as I could. And I was uh, part of the denominations Bible college for a bit. And I eventually found myself, the more I learned, outside of the boundaries of my denomination and what they wanted me to, where they wanted me to be at theologically. And so when I was about to get my pastoral license, they, they had already given me the list of questions they would ask me, and I knew I couldn't answer them honestly. And so I left in 2017 after years of trying to make, trying to th- synthesize different stuff and then since then i've been able to finally be honest about all the stuff that i'm that i was learning and i'm still learning and i started making a bunch of youtube videos and that grew over time and then i got connected with broadleaf books and got to write this book but the original motivation and passion behind the youtube videos was showing people the connection between leftist politics and radical christianity mm-hmm. and i found that a lot of people who watch my channel, and this is the people that I had in mind when I was writing my book, were people who kind of grew up in a conservative Christian environment, left, and then found themselves in some activist spaces, but still felt like some sort of connection to Jesus, like felt like had a suspicion that Jesus was definitely more radical than what people around them were making it seem. And so I wrote this book to be like, yes, your suspicions are correct, and there is a way to <laughs> talk about this stuff that connects our faith and our desire for justice. Well, I've talked with a lot of people that have gone through a similar kind of, you know, like a lot of people will use the word deconstructing or whatever, but, Hmm. you know, basically a significant shift in, you know, particularly in the direction away from conservative fundamental evangelicalism toward something. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, In your case, have you found a new, church yeah. home or denominational home or what yeah now i'm part of a disciples of christ church okay but um not as like sold out for this denomination as i was before it's it feels great to just be a part of a church and be able to help where i can in the church and um yeah that's that's where i'm at right now cool cool well i know i've interviewed several authors from that denomination and uh you know they do 
I don't, I don't know the nomination real well, but it does seem to have more of a progressive social justice orientation, at least than some. So um, let's get into the book. As I mentioned, the title is The God Who Riots, Taking Back the Radical Jesus. So it sounded like what motivated you was kind of to share your experience with other people who may be going through something similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when I, when I first started thinking of different ideas that eventually became the book, I would I realized that I was in a lot of situations and more progressive Christian circles where there was a lot of talk of contemplation and the inner life, which is great. And there and then there were conversations at different times about liberation and justice and the outer work. But I had noticed that those two conversations rarely transition into each other very smoothly. And they even yeah. had like different language entirely. Yeah. And so I was, as I was thinking through that, it was actually at a retreat with my church that I was, when we were having all these conversations, I, I was thinking, and the first, or the big, the biggest thing that came to mind was vulnerability and how within the inner life, we are attempting to embrace the vulnerable parts of ourselves that we often feel like we need to hide in this world that constantly devalues us and dehumanizes us. And we realize that that's where God is to be found. And that's where God speaks through the most vulnerable parts of ourselves. And then in the similar way, and within the most vulnerable parts of society, the most vulnerable communities in our society is also where God is to be found and where God speaks through, which is why Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And I just kept thinking about that and then got the book deal. And at the time it was also, I was also thinking about, um, the riots that were going on, the protests that were going on, the strikes and the marches after the murder of George Floyd. And I remember one night, it was the third night of uh, protests where we saw a live stream of the burning third precinct in Minneapolis. And at the time, since COVID had been going on too, a lot of people were asking, where is God and all this and all this death and all this uh, sickness? And then when I saw that live stream, I said, that's where God is. And God is always on the side of the oppressed, on the side of the marginalized, always on the side of those who are struggling for freedom from oppression. And so I wanted to write a book that explored that because I also found myself in some progressive Christian spaces where it's so great that we're not so antagonistic and how we kind of step away from some us versus them narratives that we find more often in evangelical or conservative spaces. But at the same time, when we look at the God of the Bible, when we look at who Jesus interacted with, there is no neutrality. There is a choosing of sides there. Like that's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor, but woe to the rich. Like Jesus <laughs> intentionally chooses to uh, minister to, to, those who are experiencing oppression the most in his society and God continues to be embodied in those communities and what as well. And so it felt really great. Oh yeah. And then the title, the God who riots is also a reference when, when I did see that video of the burning precinct, it also reminded me of Jesus's temple demonstration, which growing up, I remember 
when if that story ever got brought up in sermons, it was always framed as a spontaneous thing Jesus did because he couldn't control his anger. And the only time it would ever get brought up is if the sermon was about anger. It was like, sometimes there's such thing as righteous anger. Here's this story. But then they didn't talk about the context and the implications of what he was doing and saying in the temple. And that, first off, the what he did in the temple was planned and deliberate. The fact that he goes after the tables of the money changers and the seats and pours out the coins and drives out specifically the animals that are being bought and sold. He's putting a temporary stop to the activities of the outer court of the temple so that everyone would pay attention. And then he says, you've turned this place to a den of robbers. And what I also find really interesting is a den of robbers isn't where people are robbed. A den of robbers is where robbers go and hide to avoid the consequences. And so Jesus, which He's also quoting Jeremiah. So in the same spirit as Jeremiah's similar temple demonstration, he says, you've turned this to a den of robbers. So he's accusing the religious authorities of his day of using their religion to hide and avoid the injustices going on in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more relevant than ever because we all know Christians who do the same kind of thing, use yeah, their religion really. to hide and avoid things. Absolutely. So yeah, it's been really inspiring for me and I'm happy I got to write about it. So do you want to talk about your choice of the word riots in the title? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's got some controversy associated with it. Yeah. It's, as we, often how we see history change is those who are experiencing the constraints of the current world speak out about it first. And often when that happens, other people are like, no, it's not that bad. You're you're not really experiencing the suffering you're talking about because they haven't experienced it yet or they're not conscious of it. And then as people unite, organize, protest, people begin, the consciousness gets raised to the kind of suffering that is going on, either to other communities or even in their own lives that they didn't notice. And often, or not often, but... At times, these protests lead to riots. And in those times, we must listen to the desperation that is being communicated through riots and realize not every not every riot, that's what I wanted to make sure to say in the book, not every riot is fighting for a new world, such as the riot at the Capitol on January 6th. That was fighting to preserve the current world and in this like imagined conspiracy of a cabal of elites that are trying to take over this country and we need to go back to how it was and make America great again. That is fighting to preserve the current world, but Jesus is on the side of those fighting for a new world. And so I talk about just um, the different angles of the riots, of different people's motivations, the different ways that the media talked about it and talked about, um, and then beside that also talked about Jesus and the temple which also his demonstration included property destruction and looting with the flipping of tables and pouring out of coins and driving out the products from the temple. And I think uh, it really helped people to kind of get a wider perspective of both those demonstrations by reading the book. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So um, I'd like to read from a couple of the reviews of the book. This one comes from Publishers Weekly. Garcia thoughtfully examines such topic as wealth inequality, LGBTQ rights, 
and colonialism through a Christian lens, advocating for prison abolition. So are you really advocating for the complete abolition of prisons? Yeah. So what do we do when people break the law? Mm. Uh, Yeah, so I have a whole chapter on that (laughs) called Abolition Come on Earth as it is in Heaven. And I talk about the work of abolitionists is been a long work of abolition democracy. Like after the, um, the abolition of Chattel slavery in the United States, there needed to be more done. The absence of Chattel slavery wasn't enough. There needed to be new institutions built in order to protect and preserve black lives. And what ended up happening was, the prison prisons were created after that in order to give people and and what happened was black people in america went from a slave class to a criminalized class with the introduction of black codes and they continued the work of slavery in prisons and that has evolved over time of course but there is what we often see is that those who those who have the most reason to fight for a new world, the most marginalized, the most poor, the most mentally unwell are those who fill up the majority of prisons. And so I love Maryam Kaba has a, um, a lot of great essays on this. She has a book called We Do This Till We Free Us that I really liked. And Maryam Kaba says the question of, okay, well, what do we do if uh, something bad happens isn't a question we should start with, but rather we should start with the question of, why don't we have better resources in our communities to solve the various problems and social problems that happen within our communities? Because responding to any problems that come up with violence from the state is not really working. We see uh, often what uh, contributes to lowering crime rates is solving issues of poverty and while making sure communities are well-resourced. And when we can start to do that, I want to be able to build toward a world where we do not need police and prisons. And so this, of course, is a long process, and we need to work toward um, better resourcing our communities and so that we can find better ways to solve our problems. And, yeah, I encourage people to consider that and to consider the ways that it connects with our work to materializing the kingdom of God here on earth. So I think a lot of folks would be supportive of the idea of, you know, radically revolutionizing how we deal with poverty. Yeah. And, and radically revolutionizing the criminal justice system. But when you introduce terminology, like completely doing away with prisons, mm-hmm. that has the potential at least to turn off some of those same people that are really interested in solving the problems that I think you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious in terms of, you know, your use of that kind of terminology and whether you thought about that tension. Yeah, I have. And like I said, that, that chapter is also connected to talking about the kingdom of God and what I would like to see more among Christians is a radical imagination and to be able to discuss and work toward 
the most radically expansive alternatives instead of just reducing things to small incremental change. We need small incremental change, but we also need big change as well. And so I think it helps us work toward where we need to go when we do have this ultimate liberative vision on the horizon that we could work toward. And I want people to just um, begin to consider the other ways that people have talked about these issues throughout history and how we can continue to expand our radical imagination, especially if we're Christian. Like we believe this whole history thing is headed toward the reconciliation of all things and the restoration of all things and the renewal of all things. And so I would like to see Christians be able to have the most radical imagination when we talk about alternatives and solutions to our problems. Cool. Cool. So here's another um, review from uh, our author friend, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. Um, she says, follow, they say, following Jesus is costly. And our work today is to count the cost of what it really means to follow a brown Palestinian Jew. Living in Babylon and resisting the acceleration of the empire religion of white Cresto fascism, we must seek to get our hands dirty with the everyday, uh, with the everyday, and not, excuse me, let me start that part over. We must seek to get our hands dirty with the everyday and riot alongside God, who cares first to the underside of history. So how would you say that your book helps us get our hands dirty with the everyday? Hmm. Yeah, I, toward the uh, last few chapters of the book, I get into this story of Jesus giving this parable during the last week of his life at the temple to a group of religious elders. He says, a man had two sons, one, and he told them to work in the field. One of them said, no, I won't do it, but then later did it anyway. And the other one says, yes, I will, but later didn't do anything. And then Jesus asks, which one was obedient? And they say, well, the one who said he wouldn't do it, but did it anyway. And then he follows that up with the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you, which, of course, angers them. And I believe what Jesus is trying to expand them to see is that we, we often reduce people into, okay, they're living a life that I don't agree with or they're unrighteous according to our religious law. And so therefore they're not doing the work of God. We are because we're saying we are, we're said all the right things. We believe all the right things. And what Jesus is trying to get them to see is that there are those who yeah, aren't in this circle who aren't uh, necessarily religious in the way you are. And yet they're doing the work of God. And often we see, I think, yeah, this is a thing we all see is those who say they do the work of God and preach the right things, believe the right things, but often either don't do anything to uh, really do the work of God in the world, uh, like serving people, aiding communities, or they just do more harm. And so what I try to get people to see is today, there are those who we may think are, or who are totally outside the Christian circle, but are doing the work of God. I think especially people who grew up in fundamentalist environments, one of the first things that crashes their whole worldview is interacting with people they said were bad and yeah, soulless yeah. and lost, and then realizing, wait, these people have the heart of Jesus more than a lot of no Christians kidding. I know. No and so I, I try to invite people to look at the fact that there are organizations in your city who are doing the work of God and serving the poor and feeding the homeless and clothing the naked. 
And we must try to form relations, especially churches and church leaders must form relationships with the leaders of those organizations. Because I think what we often see is when churches realize the needs of their communities, they often say, so we're going to start a program and we're going to get all of our congregants to volunteer and we're going to see if it works without realizing there are other people in the community have way more experience who have uh, even other contacts and they need funding, they need support and at times even need space that maybe a church building can offer. And so that's one of the things I really would like specifically um, church leaders and people who are part of a church to consider and realize, oh yeah, there's, there are things going on that are helping people right now in my community. I should look into that. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. We're so fragmented, you know, yes. there's this lack of, you know, willingness to collaborate. It's like everybody's got to mm-hmm. have their own thing and um, it's to our detriment. Yes. So um, what would be the number one thing that you would like readers to take away from the book? Hmm. It would be that the world, the world is changing and we're, I believe we are headed toward liberation. It's going to be long and difficult and it's going to require, like also Martin Luther King Jr. said, a revolution of values as well. And as we go through these changes, God is always on the side of the oppressed and of the marginalized and the poor who are struggling for liberation. And I'm also very inspired by liberation theology, which the central slogan with that movement was the God has a preferential option for the poor. And along with that was, so the church should too, the church should prefer to opt for the poor first and foremost as a priority. And so that's what I would like people to take from the book. And yeah, I would appreciate um, anyone to check it out. It's on Broadleaf Books, comes out August 23rd. Yes, yes. So um, we met at Wild Goose. Um, mm. How was that experience for you? It was fun. I, uh, it was cool to meet some people and talk. I got to talk about my book and my Broadleaf was kind enough to send uh, a good amount of books to their little bookstore, uh, even though it was a month early. So that was, that was like big because this is my first book. That was like a huge deal. for me. That was the first time I saw the physical book and got to touch That's it cool. was That's at neat. Wild Goose. That's neat. And, yeah. And so it was, it was a really great experience. And I, um, it was also wild that like people bought it and that I didn't know and I didn't see. And that's just a, a totally mind shift for me of like, <laughs> there are people that I don't know and have never seen in my life that have that book that I wrote. <laughs> we'll, like, it'll be available on Amazon soon too. So there'll be a lot more people who. Uh, oh yeah, it is on Amazon. You can, pre-order it. <laughs> you can pre-order it from anywhere that sells books. So I know, you know, you're right in the middle of launching a new book for the first time, which is a big deal. And I mean, mm-hmm. congratulations on that. But is there anything you can say about any future ideas or projects that you have in mind? Um, yeah, right, right now, a lot of the focus is on this book. And I would like to continue um, making, because, yeah, I, I make a lot of videos on YouTube and Instagram, uh, mostly. And I would like to continue helping people connect these ideas of um, their desire for justice and their faith and helping people 
find a more healthier and a responsible expression of their faith. And that's what I'm going to keep doing. And you can find me on uh, YouTube. Just search Damon Garcia. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at who is Damon and hit me up, send me a message and say, Hey, I heard you on writing for life or I heard you on Brian Lane's <laughs> podcast. And uh, that'd be great. Good, good. Well, again, the title of the book is the God who riots taking back the radical Jesus. And you can learn more at DamonGarcia.com as well as YouTube and mm-hmm. the other locations that Damon um, presents himself online. So Damon, again, thanks so much for joining us and congratulations on this great work. Thank you. Appreciate it.